Explore presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman. like to say thank you for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions, do please write to alecjan at gmail.com and do write podcast in the subject line. Thank you. Chapter 5, Gateway to Africa, 19th to the 24th of February, 1977, Morocco. Although we had been travelling across Europe, it was only as we crossed the Strait of Gibraltar to Ceuta on the northern tip of Africa that we really believed our long-planned journey had begun. The ferry crossing took an hour and we were driving through Morocco by ten in the morning. The day was still young. The well-surfaced road meandered over the hills and down into the valleys. In one field I saw a man dressed in a long hooded robe made from heavy wool material coaxed his pony to pull a simple wooden plough traversing a steep slope. The pony trod deeply into the soft, squelchy soil as the plough dragged slowly through the earth. The man's son was dressed in a long-sleeved jumper and trousers, sporting a woolly knitted bobble hat like his father. The lad helped the pony by scampering ahead, clearing debris, jagged rocks, clusters of large stones and broken branches that had fallen from an old tree. A rigorous effort was being made to prepare the soil for cultivation on the difficult hilly terrain. We journeyed towards Chechuan and observed many farming homesteads, small white houses dotted here and there, gorse, daisies, cacti, and abundance of wild flowers danced in the gentle breeze on the grassy green hillsides. It surprised me to see these pastoral scenes, not at all what I had imagined for this introduction to Africa. Look, Alec, down in the valley, I pointed excitedly. It looks like a country market. Let's go and explore, Alec responded. We parked the Land Rover a distance away, climbed out and set off walking. It was good to stretch our legs and breathe in the fresh country air. We joined the throng of locals making their way to the market via a narrow bridge that crossed over the fast-flowing river, wending its way along the valley floor. Before us was an amazing sight. Three hundred animals, donkeys, mules and ponies, collected together within an enclosure of wooden wagons and carts. A hubbub of munching, snorting and shuffling rose from the animals as they waited patiently for their owners to finish their shopping. The pungent smell of steaming dung wafted its way across to us. The backdrop was a row of canvas canopies shading earth pits where farriers worked, trimming and shoeing the ponies' hooves. Holding a red-hot horseshoe with long stout metal tongs, a farrier pressed the shoe quickly on an upturned hoof. The pony's leg was trapped between his leather-protected thighs. The acrid smell of burning hoof rose up in smoke into the man's ruddy face as he checked the size of the shoe. 
chink, chink, chink. The hammer perfectly shaped the hot molten iron shoe on the anvil. The shoe was fitted again, and when it was deemed just right, it was plunged into a bucket of cold river water that fizzled as the steam rose, cooling the metal. Afterwards, the farrier nailed the cold shoe onto the pony's hoof before he proceeded to the second one, and so on. Ploughshares were also being re-tipped by the farriers, which altogether produced roaring trade that day. We walked across to the centre of the covered market stalls and saw displayed multicoloured clothes, pots and pans, vegetables, fruit and other useful goods. After an hour, we returned to the Land Rover and drove southwest, leaving the pastoral hillsides behind to see flat coastal plains of green meadows. For our first evening in Africa, we parked alongside the beach, south of Rabat, and enjoyed the salty smell in the breeze coming off the Atlantic Ocean. We awoke the next morning and listened to the waves rhythmically lapping the seashore and pulling back the sand as the sea drew away. Raising the blind at the back door, we lay in bed, cherishing the scene before us. The morning sun rose slowly above the horizon, giving a golden glow to the expanse of sea. We saw the black silhouettes of two fishermen, clothed in long heavy robes, wading through the icy water to lay their net. A successful catch! One man lifted the wriggling fish from the clutches of the net and cradled them in the skirt of his robe to carry them ashore. He gently placed the fish into a woven basket before returning to the sea, hopeful of another catch. Swallows swooped up and down in the sky, snatching insects as they flew. Nearby on the pastures that edged right up to the beach, a young shepherd and shepherdess encouraged their small flocks of sheep to a patch of good grazing. The melodic sound of a flute rippled through the air, gracing the pastoral scene. Come on, Alec, we can't lie here all day if we want to reach Marrakesh in good time, I chivered us both. Following the coastal road, we soon reached Casablanca, where we stopped for a short visit and checked out the souk. A remarkable selection of European-style menswear was on sale. I noticed that some of the city ladies also wore European clothes beneath their coverall jellabas, complete with hood and veil. They looked very elegant and mysterious in their smart outfits. A few ladies dressed so were enjoying the freedom of riding their mopeds around town. Leaving the bustling city, we took the main road directly south for 148 miles to mystical Marrakesh. We located the well-equipped campsite, memorable for its smelly toilets, and local drug dealers calling, Psst! from the other side of the hedge, hoping we were desperate for a fix. There was a young Swiss couple also staying at the campsite in their Land Rover. We enjoyed a mug of Ovaltine that evening as we chatted together, all four of us, cosy in the back of our vehicle. The next day, we drove into the city centre to an official car park with a guard, who watched over our vehicle as we explored the city. The buildings were made of red clay, the modern structures following the traditional colouring of the old. Two grey horses trotted by pulling a royal-looking open-top carriage. The driver wore a long beige jellaba robe, and a traditional red felt fez hat with a black tassel. 
the local taxi at your service. Our first task of the day was to locate where to buy petrol coupons. We walked up and down Mohammed V Street, asking various people if they knew where we should go. Eventually, we were directed to the Bank of Morocco, Commerce Exterior. We bought enough coupons for 20 gallons of petrol, the 10-day allowance for tourists to buy fuel at a reduced price. From the bank, we went to the central market square. Young boys and men constantly badgered us to let them be our guide. Unfortunately, they did not take our refusal very graciously and some of the immature lads became spiteful and swore at us. In the square, we joined crowds of onlookers, tourists plus many local young men and children just standing around. Together we watched the street entertainers, storytellers, snake charmers, singers, musicians, dancers and fortune tellers. A man in his thirties played a tune on a simply made string instrument, sang a song and danced a jig. An audience of local people surrounded him, but as soon as he had completed his short act, he made a beeline through the crowd directly to us. He demanded that we pay two dirhams for taking his photograph, but Alec offered him a few francs for the brevity of his act. The performer became nasty, so we made a hasty retreat into the heart of the souk. As we recovered from this unwelcome reaction, we settled down to explore the market stalls. There was an array of wares to tempt our pocket. Baskets, leather goods, copper utensils, woodwork, carpets, blankets, painted glass and horseshoes. Skeins of vibrantly coloured dyed wool, cotton and silk yarn were hanging to dry on high poles fixed across the narrow alleyways. A few veiled women were standing selling pantaloons along the pathway, keeping a watchful eye out for the police as they were trading illegally. We stopped to make a purchase of a decorative unstuffed puff made from camel hide. It would be a useful footstool for a future home. Venturing along the matrix of alleyways, resplendent with exotic shops, we found it difficult to enjoy looking closely at any items before being harassed by one of the many shopkeepers eager for a sale. Unfortunately, the constant pressure to buy spoilt our visit to Marrakesh, so we decided to leave. Glad to be on the road once again, we drove northeast through the countryside in the foothills of the Atlas Mountains. It took a day and a half to drive 400 miles to Fez, passing by Tamalelt, Tanant and on towards Bin el Weden. At the last town there was a vast lake held in check by the largest hydroelectric dam in Morocco, which was built in 1953. The Bin el Dam was a strategic and vital structure kept under visible military guard. The road was built on the crest of the dam, with the lake to one side and a deep gorge to the other. Fir trees grew up towards the sky, their roots hidden away within the steep sides of the gorge. The road continued down to open out onto a cultivated plateau where groves of orange trees flourished in the red earth, watered from narrow irrigation channels. From there it climbed to 3,800 feet, where we found a place to stop for the night, beyond El Borge, north of Kinifra. The following day at 8, the temperature had dropped significantly to 48 degrees Fahrenheit. Driving north of Azru, a town with European-style houses, 
we found ourselves in snow-covered forested mountains at 5,800 feet. Heavy snow fell that morning and the wipers worked hard to keep the windscreen clear. The heater was on full, but my feet felt cold and numb. As we left the mountains and snow behind and journeyed to the city of Fez, the land became barren and rocky. Fortunately, the temperature rose in our favour too. On arrival, having parked and securely locked the Land Rover, Alec and I walked towards the old city, passing by the impressive entrance to the palace grounds. Tiny coloured ceramic tiles adorned the massive walls. Twenty-five-foot-high brass doors hung in the magnificent gateway and two workmen were busy cleaning the brass. We ventured along a nearby street of open-fronted shops. Their wares spilled over into the thoroughfare. Open sacks of good-quality maize, flour, spices and dates were displayed. In a covered food hall, fresh meat, fish, fruit and vegetables were on sale. Live chickens, rabbits and pigeons waited innocently in cages, not knowing they could be someone's supper that night. A young man approached Alec and asked to be our guide, but he was not the first to hustle us that day, and Alec's answer remained the same. No, thank you. We don't need a guide as we prefer to explore the city on our own. Not ready to give up that easily, he then introduced us to another guy, a student who wanted to show us around. Now it was his turn to annoyingly badger us. To no avail, the student was very persistent and chatted on in reasonable English. He seemed quite knowledgeable, so eventually Alec gave me the eye and we agreed to have him along. No mention of money. He just wanted to practice his English. We followed the route of the River Fez that the city was built around, walking through a park with beautiful floral gardens, palm trees and cascading fountains. At the time we were there, the university town housed 350,000 people within their old city walls. An unused 14th century university building was tucked in amongst the shops. Arabian craftsmanship was apparent on the wooden doors, the detailed ceramic-tiled walls and the coloured glass windows. It had surely once been a beautiful building, but it was in desperate need of restoration. Into the souk where craftsmen carved tables, wooden chest sets and candlesticks. Others made yarn belts, blankets and carpets. A young lad speedily created a design on a copper plate. He used a hammer tapping on a small metal tool with a patterned end. Walking down the street, we passed one shop with hundreds of rolls of fabric. Countless jellaba robes for men and women were being made and sold by the tailors. In another shop, the leather craftsman made pointed slip-on goatskin shoes in various bright colours. The student guide directed us to go inside a house of carpets. The interior walls were again adorned with tiny decorative ceramic tiles. We were each provided a seat and given a glass of mint tea in readiness for the owner to begin his sales pitch. Handmade carpets of all sizes were rolled out before our feet. The quality of the carpets was excellent with richly coloured wool, ruby red, indigo blue, emerald green, woven into elaborate patterns. Through a doorway I could see three young girls, about seven years old, concentrating and working hard 
weaving intricate designs as their fingers rippled over the carpet loom. Unfortunately for the merchant, he made no sale with us that day, despite his aspiring banter and quality carpets. Our guide led us into a second carpet shop, then a shop selling copper plates and another with fabrics. Each time we were given a place to sit and a glass of mint tea, and then the sales patter began. We soon realised what was happening when we noticed the original young man who had introduced us to this student guide was actually following us, trying to be inconspicuous. These chaps are working together, I said under my breath to Alec. I bet if we bought something, the guy following would claim commission from the shopkeeper. No wonder we were encountering such a heavy sales push. We continued to meander through the crowded walkways, between the stalls and shops. A young boy pushed his way through the crowd, leading his heavily burdened grey mule. A crate of bottles of Coca-Cola hung from straps on either side of the animal's back. The strong mule faithfully followed the lad. Visiting Fez, you can be sure not to miss the rank stench from the tannery. We saw young boys with their skin stained burgundy, chocolate brown or purple. Their task was to tread down the camel, cow, goat and sheep skins, soaking in the pools of dye in round earthen pits. As we walked along a high perimeter pathway around the tannery, the scene below looked like a gigantic honeycomb. For four hours we wandered the streets of Fez, fascinated by the kaleidoscope of visual and audible stimuli, not to mention the tangible smells. As we returned to our Land Rover, we stopped to buy bread and cakes from an open stall. We said goodbye and thanks to the two Moroccans and gave them a token tip, but they were not impressed. We drove out of the town to seek a suitable place for the night and parked in a pleasant valley near to Bab Mazuka. Preparing for the following day's journey, Alec perused the map that evening, checking the route into Algeria. Total distance driven, 3,071 miles. You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman, Presented by Explore More. Explore More is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others and embrace global cultures to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot com.